Hello, everybody, and welcome into the That's Good podcast. I'm your host, James Finneral, here to preview the 2022 U.S. Open. Before diving into this week's preview, we'll take a quick look back at last week's event, the RBC Canadian Open, where Rory McIlroy successfully defended his title in extremely impressive fashion, went into that final round on Sunday, playing in the last group with Justin Thomas and Tony Finau, just a star-studded group. Rory goes out there and shoots 62. JT and Finau both shooting 64. It was just an absolute ball-striking clinic. So much fun to watch. A great build-up to the U.S. Open. And Rory simply never wavered throughout the round. Justin Thomas bogeying the 17th kind of gave Rory a nice cushion heading into 18. and He was able to capture his 21st PGA Tour victory, which in his post-round interview, he said is one more than someone else. Who He was referring to Greg Norman, the CEO of Live Golf, had a great golf career in his own right. And Rory has been one of the more outspoken players on tour defending the PGA Tour over Live Golf. So that was a nice little dig there from Rory. And this was simply the best result the PGA Tour could have asked for during the week where Liv had their first event, where you have Rory McIlroy playing with JT and Tony Finau in the final group, going low, making it intense down the stretch, and having a guy like Rory McIlroy, one of the fan favorites, win in a week leading up to the U.S. Open while Liv is playing their first event. That result could not be any better for the PGA Tour there. Looking at the Liv event, Charles Schwartzel won that one over in London, and he bagged $4.75 million, which I believe is the largest winnings in one single tournament for a player. But then you have Henny Duplessis, who came in second, and won over $2.1 million. So I'm just wanting to see how players will react to this. You have a guy like Charles Schwartzel, who major champion, won the Masters a little while ago, but he is certainly not the elite of the elite by any stretch, and he just cashed $4.75 million in the first tournament. And then you have Henny Duplessis, doesn't even play on the PGA Tour, has some decent finishes on the European Tour, winning $2.1 million for coming in second place. So I am curious to see how, how the stars of the game respond and how some of the mediocre players on PGA Tour respond to this. The next event for Live Golf is in Portland, Oregon on June 30th, so we'll keep our eyes open for that. Another major storyline, which is not that new, is Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Reed are officially joining Live Golf. This news broke directly after last week's show, like minutes after last week's show, so much to the point where I, if I wasn't heading to work, I would have recorded it and added it to the podcast. But simply, this is not surprising at all. We heard the talks about Bryson and Phil kind of being the stars of that league, and then Bryson went kind of silent once Phil took all that backlash there. But then Patrick Reed, also not shocking. He is definitely the type of player that would go join that league. But Bryson is a huge get for Live Golf because he is a player who is young, in his prime, and could certainly be a star for the league. Big personality, has a lot of fans, has a lot of people that don't like him as much, but has a ton of backing. And he could be that co-face of the league with Phil Mickelson. And also Dustin Johnson is in that mix too. But Bryson did an interview earlier this week with Todd Lewis of Golf Channel, and he is simply dodging questions left and right, as most of these live guys are doing right now, saying that this was a business decision and just kind of repeating that. So we'll see as the story develops on Bryson's real reasoning for going to live golf and see if he is going to be the face of this tour moving forward. Looking at the live players in the field this week, we have Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, Patrick Reed, Taylor Gooch, Sergio Garcia, Kevin Na, and none other than Mr. Phil Mickelson, which I believe his return here is the biggest storyline heading into this week. 
He held a press conference on Monday and came out much like Bryson, was very guarded in his responses, saying he repeatedly saying he respects the PGA Tour players, respects the PGA Tour itself, respects everyone's decision to stay on the PGA Tour. And this was not the fun-loving, joking Phil Mickelson that a lot of us are used to. He was very guarded, very calculated with his answers, giving a lot of stock answers. And as the face of that league right now, he I'm not shocked. He must be really careful with what he says here. But a major thing coming into this week is that Phil Mickelson is going for the career Grand Slam, the U.S. Open, the one major that has evaded him throughout his career. I personally think he has absolutely no chance to win this golf tournament. However, I would think a lot of people said that heading into the PGA Championship last year. So you can never say never, but I really think his chances are slim to none to get this done this week. But the last thing I'll say on Live Golf is that a lot of these players are saying, oh, this is the best choice for me and my family. But we're not really seeing people come out and just flat out say, okay, I took a lot of guaranteed money up front and the purses on that tour are larger and I have to play less events to make more money. If players come out and say that, I'm not sure it's going to be an overwhelming great response, but at least people will have more respect that they're not trying to cover something up here and that you're actually being honest of exactly why you joined Live Golf. So I'll be curious to see how that develops and if people will start admitting that that is the truth there. One last thing to touch on before looking at this week's golf course is Tiger Woods will not be playing the U.S. Open. We mentioned it last week in our preview. He needs time to get his body ready. I'm guessing specifically for the Open Championship at St. Andrews, one of, if not his favorite golf courses in the world. So wishing Tiger nothing but the best in his recovery there. Hopefully we'll see him back out there soon. Now our golf course this week, the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, your boy will be on site on Saturday. Very excited to get out there and see this up close and personal. In 1894, the Country Club became one of the five founding members of the United States Golf Association, one of the most historical courses in the world, let alone the country, and most famously known for in 1913 when Francis we met, an amateur, won the U.S. Open. There is a movie out there called The Greatest Game Ever Played, which is about this story. I'm planning on watching it either tonight or tomorrow night to get myself fired up for this U.S. Open at the Country Club. I highly recommend it, starring Shia LaBeouf. It's been a long time since I've watched it. The Country Club, a par 70, 7,250 yards or so. There was a renovation done by Gil Hans and Jim Wagner, and as always, they try to maintain the classic essence of the course. Had plenty of tree removal and also enlarged a lot of the greens, but these greens are still extremely small, and that is a big part of the test this week. And that transitions us right into our metrics. And like any U.S. Open, you have to bring your all-around game to win here. This is widely considered the toughest test out of all the major championships that you see all season long. And specifically, the rough is going to be very thick and penalizing. That's a trademark of any U.S. Open course. But also on this specific course, there's plenty of fescue out there, which I can tell you from personal experience is not easy to get out of. And then also some rocky areas on the course. So a lot of ways that players can put themselves in trouble out here at the country club. So as always, looking for accurate ball strikers who are not going to put themselves in trouble as much, but also the guys who can get themselves out of that trouble easier. And this course has a decent length for a par 70, but I would say it's not tailored as much for bombers of the golf ball as certain other U.S. Open courses. So some of the shorter hitters still have a chance at the country club. And lastly, short game is going to be huge this week, just like it was at the PGA Championship. 
you have these extremely small greens that you're hitting into that you're not going to be hitting all greens in regulation. So you're going to need to be able to save yourself with your short game, especially with that thick rough that will be just off of these greens. So look for guys that can get up and down, save par, are going to be the ones that hang around in this golf tournament. And then last but not least, before our betting angles, look at the weather here. It's been a factor in some major events this year. We're looking at the wind seeming to be its calmest on Thursday morning. Winds could get up into the mid to high teens out there in Brookline. And you have some potential rain and thunderstorms on Friday. So it looks like the early late tee times, early Thursday, late Friday tee times will have some sort of an edge. And that seems to be the case in a lot of tournaments. But we'll have to monitor the weather to see if that changes and in the PGA Championship, JT defied it. He had the bad end of the draw with the weather, but persevered through and still won the tournament despite having the bad draw in the first two rounds. So we'll keep our eyes on the weather there because it could play a big factor as it has in other events. Now into our betting angles, our favorites via the DraftKings Sportsbook, starting out with Rory McIlroy fresh off his win. He is 10-1, Justin Thomas 11-1, John Rahm 12-1. Scotty Scheffler 14 to 1, Xander Shoffley 16 to 1, Patrick Cantlay 20 to 1, Cameron Smith 22 to 1, and then Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson and Sam Burns at 28 to 1. Everyone else is 30 to 1 or outside of that. So some big numbers on some very good players as we see in these major championships. Now, the best bet segment. Last week, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. This was the worst play of the history of this podcast. We had Terrell Hatton over Tony Finau. Terrell Hatton ended up getting cut. He is a guy that when things start going bad for him, they start going really bad. He has a bit of a temper, and he can definitely spiral out of control, and that's exactly what happened at St. George's last week. He gets cut. And then we are playing against Tony Finau, who ends up in second place alone. And as I said, I just needed to see one more good performance from Tony Finau before I started trusting him because I've had some plays on him in the past. So now that I saw what he did last week, I certainly won't be fading him and I'll actually look to be playing him throughout this summer. So congratulations to Tony Finau for making me look stupid there. It could, it would have been the same result if Finau came in first and Hatton came in second. I still would have just lost. But this one stings a little more because I pride myself on at least making these plays competitive here. So we'll move on from our worst bet of the season and move into our mega betting sheet for the U.S. Open. We have two matchups on the card here, a three ball, a top 10, top 20, and top 40. So plenty of plays for you to pick and choose from. Starting with our first matchup, Colin Morikawa, plus 105 over Matt Fitzpatrick. If you listen to the show in any capacity, you know that this pains me as Matt Fitzpatrick has been a frequent flyer of the best bet segment. He has cashed for us time and time again. But I can't ignore Colin Morikawa's ceiling at these major championships. Both guys are accurate ball strikers, but I think Colin Morikawa's precision will be key, especially with these microscopic greens we have out here at the country club. Colin's short game is definitely in question, but I don't think he's going to have to rely on it as much as the rest of the field and Matt Fitzpatrick. So look for that. And then also the tee time differences here is something to keep your eye on. Colin Morikawa tees off at 7.18 a.m. on Thursday and 1.03 p.m on Friday, where Matt Fitzpatrick tees off at 136 on Thursday and 751 on Friday. And as I said, it looks like the early late tee times will be an edge, so that will be an edge in Colin Morikawa's favor over Matt Fitzpatrick there. So I'm looking for Colin Morikawa to go low in the benign conditions on Thursday morning and put himself out up there towards the top of the leaderboard. And just the fact that he's a two-time major championship 
And my guy, Matt Fitzpatrick, is just starting to find his groove at the majors, which is great for him. But I'll take Morikawa's prowess over Matt Fitzpatrick, and especially getting a plus number here. Morikawa as the underdog against Matt Fitzpatrick in a major championship is something that definitely appeals to me. So call Morikawa plus 105 over Matt Fitzpatrick for our first matchup. Now our next matchup play is also an underdog pick. We're going with Jordan Spieth over Patrick Cantlay at plus 112. Can be found on FanDuel. And this is very similar rationale to the Morikawa pick. I'm playing on Jordan Spieth's prowess at major championships and fading Patrick Cantlay's lack of prowess at major championships. You look at the contrast here. Jordan Spieth, a three-time major championship, won the U.S. Open in 2015. And Patrick Cantlay's best finish at a major championship is tied for third at the 2019 PGA Championship. He has missed the cut in three of his last six majors. I know how good Patrick Cantlay is. I'm always scared to fade him. He won a bet for us at the Memorial Tournament not that long ago. But I have to fade him until we see more of a peak at these major championships, especially against a guy like Spieth, who is built for these and is playing well. And I think the Country Club is a better setup than a lot of other U.S. venues for a guy like Jordan Spieth. You have to be creative around here. You have to have a good short game around here. That sums up Jordan Spieth to a T. I think Jordan Spieth is definitely going to find himself in some trouble throughout the week, but who's better at getting out of those trouble spots than Jordan Spieth? He's so creative. I could see him hitting greens from some of these tough areas this week, so look out for that. In terms of tee times, they're going back-to-back on Thursday. Spieth teeing off at 7.29 a.m., Patrick Cantlay teeing off at 7.40 a.m. So looking here at these bets, we have two underdog picks in our matchup, so we just need one of them to cash to turn a profit on our matchup plays, and if both of them cash, we'll be hitting the ground running here. So I like Jordan Spieth in this second matchup, plus 112 over Patrick Cantlay. Moving along, I did not find a nationality prop that I loved, but I found a three ball that I'm absolutely obsessed with here. It is Shane Lowry over Phil Mickelson and Louis Oosthuizen at plus 110 on FanDuel. Lowry was our winner pick last week, and he just keeps playing great golf. Another week, gaining strokes everywhere, but on the putting green, his ball striking is absolutely phenomenal, and he does have that short game to rely on. I believe the putter can come around, but he is very good from slightly off the green, and I think that's going to be a huge difference for him at this course. And just like Spieth, I think that the country club sets up better for him than other U.S. Open courses. And my rationale here to pick this three ball is I think Phil has no chance, little to no chance, of beating Shane Lowry. I expect Shane Lowry to be in the top 20 or 30 in this tournament, and I think Phil is going to have to fight just to make the cut. So then that kind of narrows it down to just a one-on-one matchup. Shane Lowry against Louis Eustazen, where I'm getting plus money on the better player, Shane Lowry. Louis, we saw what he did in the majors last year. He had a great year, but he's not the same player. He's not coming in in nearly the same form that he was last year. He finished tied for 10th in that London event last week. I have no clue what that means. I don't know if that's a great finish, a horrible finish, or a mediocre finish because the field is so weak out there and the format is so different. So I don't know if that's a good finish at all. But then looking at his PGA Tour and major events, we have the PGA Championship. He finished tied for 60th. He withdrew at the Masters and did not advance in the match play event and then came in 62nd at the Valspar Championship. So he's not in good form at all based on the PGA Tour events and the majors that he's played recently. So Against a guy like Shane Lowry, who's been a top 20 machine and top 10 machine even, I like my odds here. Shane Lowry getting plus money 
hoping Phil doesn't have a miracle performance and then betting on Lowry's consistency over Louis Ustase. And so I don't usually like to bet three balls because I think the odds are usually pretty stacked against you. But I do like this one specifically here. Shane Lowry over Phil Mickelson and Louis Oosthuizen at plus 110. Now moving along here, Rory McIlroy in the top 10. Weeks leading up to the Canadian Open and the U.S. Open, I had been thinking Rory McIlroy might just be my pick to win the U.S. Open. I was loving it, and it was shaping up really well as he was playing extremely well. But seeing him win last week just made me a little scared that He's not going to be able to pull it off back-to-back weeks. Even though he did something like this in the past, he won the Bridgestone and then won the PGA Championship at Valhalla in back-to-back weeks, which is crazy. I just don't know if he's going to be able to quite pull this off. So I figured a top 10 play would suffice here because he is playing so well. He is absolutely scorching hot, striking the ball flawlessly pretty much. And he's just in classic Rory form right now. He's been inside the top 20 in his last five events. In, including two majors where he finished second at the Masters and eighth the PGA Championship. Those are great finishes, and he has all the areas in his game to contend here. His ball striking, as I said, has been ridiculous. He is destroying the driver, just pounding drives, and then also striking his irons well. But a big piece here is that he's had some improvement in the short game, which has historically not been the strongest part of his game. He can definitely have some bad putting weeks, but it's been pretty good lately, so hopefully he keeps that rolling and he is a guy who is extremely motivated by this live situation. As you even, as I said earlier, like he made that little Greg Norman comment in his post-round interview. So you could tell that he's fired up for this. He wants to go out and make another statement this week. So Rory McIlroy in the top 10 at plus 140. Now I just gave you a bunch of plus money plays and I have two minus money plays here to round out our best bets, starting with Xander Shoffley in the top 20, minus 125. This guy is built for the U.S. Opens, quite frankly. He's come in the top seven of each of his five last U.S. Open appearances. Not to mention, he performs well in most majors in general. And then you look at the form. He's been playing very well. We picked him to win at the Memorial. He came in the top 20 there, and then he's been in the top 20 in his last four events, including a win at the Zurich Classic with Patrick Cantlay, tied for fifth at the Byron Nelson, tied for 13th at the PGA, and then, as I said, tied for 18th at the Memorial. So I have no questions about his form, and he's built for U.S. Open-style golf. He has the ball striking. He's longer than most off the tee. He's top 35 in driving distance, which I said isn't a huge factor here, but definitely nice to have. And he's got the short game and the creativity. That could be the difference here, and we could see him in the top 10 once again for the sixth straight year. That's just ridiculous. But I'm going to take him in the top 20 at only minus 125, I, I love this number, and if you feel inclined to get him his sixth top 10 finish, that's plus 190, which is a, which is a big number there. But I'm going to roll with him in the top 20 at minus 125. Now, last but not least in our best bet segment, we have Max Homa in the top 40, minus 135 on FanDuel. I think he might be the most underrated player on the PGA Tour right now. He is playing some insane golf. Eight of his nine last stroke play events, he's been inside the top 40, and his only one outside of that was a T48 at the Masters, which we haven't seen him do too well at Augusta National. He won the Wells Fargo, finished tied for 13th at the PGA Championship, which is comparable to heading to the U.S. Open here, where you're going to have to be accurate, and you're going to have to rely on your short game. And his most recent performance was tied for fifth at the Memorial, which, as I've been on record saying, that is 
one of, if not the biggest tournaments outside of the majors that we see all year. So I love the way Max Homa is playing. He has gained strokes off the tee and approach in every tournament since the WM Phoenix Open in February. So he has certainly arrived, and I think he's going to start contending at these major championships. If this number was minus 160 or minus 170, I probably would have been scared off it. But I look at that minus 135, that's not a ton of juice to squeeze on a guy who is playing this well. So Max Homa in the top 40, minus 135. Now into our winner segment. We had Shane Lowry last week. He finished tied for 10th. He wasn't really contending up there quite at the top with, with the big boys, but he is playing so well. I'll t- always take a top 10 for our winner picks. We always try to get our winner picks in the top 10 and top 20. So we'll take that there for Shane Lowry. And as, a, as you saw, he is in our best bets this week. Now, our winner this week is going to be John Rahm, 12-1. to 1, Looking for him to go back-to-back U.S. Open championships. As I said, I was really feeling Rory weeks leading up to this, but then seeing him win the Canadian, I kind of pushed off that he's not going to be able to get it done back-to-back weeks. But I like John Rahm to win this week. He's coming in a little bit under the radar because he hasn't been quite as flashy as guys like Rory, JT, Scotty Scheffler, who have been playing so well and winning some tournaments here. But John Rahm is not far removed from winning a tournament of his own, the Mexico Open, which went unnoticed by casual fans because it was a weaker field. But I certainly noticed it. I saw the way he was playing. He was favored to win that tournament, and he went out there and won it. You know what? I picked him to win that tournament. And so this is the second time I'm picking him this season, hoping he can deliver once again. Since then, he had a tied for 48th at the PGA where he did not look great. And then most recently finished tied for 10th at the Memorial, which is a place that he loves to play. So I am not worried about John Rahm's game at all. And I think the fact that he is such a precise ball striker and extremely detailed in his approach, that allowed him to win last year's U.S. Open. I think it can allow him to win this year's U.S. Open. He had to deal with the very thick rough at Torrey Pines, a bigger course, so I, I think he's going to be up there in greens and regulation. I think he's going to be able to save himself with his short game. That was a bit of a question for part of the season, but I think that has certainly come around. I like to see the putter coming around as well. So I think John Rahm's going to be able to save himself when he does miss those greens. And just like Rory, I love the competitive nature of John Rahm. This means something to him to defend his title at the U.S. Open, and that can't really be measured in statistics, but it's definitely there and something that makes me want to lean towards him this week. So John Rahm, back-to-back U.S. Opens. He is my pick to win this week at 12-1. to Now looking at last week's dark horse pick, we had Sahith Tagala, who finished tied for 53rd. It could have played out a lot better. He had a bad final round, and we, as I said, we always love to get our dark horse picks in the top 40, so it was unfortunate that he missed there. He could have easily been in that top 40 if he played better on Sunday. But not a terrible dark horse pick made the cut, but we want to get him in that top 40. Moving along here, this week's dark horse pick, I'm going back to our second most successful dark horse pick of the year. I'm going with Davis Riley, 80-1, to 1, as my dark horse pick at the U.S. Open. As I said, second best dark horse pick of the season behind Tom Hoagie. We picked him at the Charles Schwab, and he finished tied for fourth, and he was in the lead at one point on the back nine on that Sunday. And he's been absolutely on fire. Top 15 in his last six events, including the Zurich Classic team event with Will Zalatoris, but he's been in the top 10 in four out of those last six. He is a very sharp approach player. I've seen some 
Very impressive shots. Very tight to pin locations from him. And I'm looking forward to seeing that this week. And his putter has also been great. He's been positive in putting in five straight tournaments, which can definitely be a difference maker in major championships. And he's looking more and more comfortable on the big stage. Him and Cameron Young are kind of the young breakout players of this season. I wouldn't also mind if you took Cameron Young as a dark horse pick as well. But I love this 80-1 to on Davis Rally. I'm looking at the guys that are in the same range. It includes Bryson DeChambeau. I wish there was a matchup out there where it was Riley against DeChambeau. I would be hammering Riley, but sportsbooks are too smart. There's no matchups, single matchups against Bryson or Phil for that matter. And so the sportsbooks aren't going to get burned on that. But Davis Riley as my dark horse pick this week at 80 to 1. Last but not least, I have a low am pick of the week, Austin Greaser. Last time at the Masters, none of the amateurs made the cut. But Greaser definitely impressed me the most. Junior out of North Carolina, finished second in the 2021 U.S. Amateur. And he led most of the way in that tournament. And that tournament was played at Oakmont, which was a U.S. Open venue last seen in 2016, where Dustin Johnson won. And it will be a future venue in 2025. So it bodes well that he played well on a course that hosted a U.S. Open, even though it probably wasn't set up in grooms like a U.S. Open. But... I think that bodes well here heading to the country club, seeing that Austin Greaser did well at Oakmont. So I'll take him as my low amateur this week. And that just about wraps up our preview of the U.S. Open. I will be back next week with a preview of the Travelers Championship. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you have time, give a five-star review, follow the podcast, share it with your friends and family, and enjoy this major championship golf this weekend. I'll catch you next time on the That's Good Podcast.